Thanks for listening to the Grace Life Podcast, where we want to know God, love people, and reach our world. If you have any questions or want to learn more about us, you can always check us out online by going to gracelife.church. We'd love for you to stay connected throughout your week and everywhere you go with the gracelife.church app. It's free and available wherever you download apps. How are you guys doing? Man, so good to see you. Hope you had a great Thanksgiving, ate lots of turkey, lots of honey-baked ham, right? Come on, that's one of my favorites. All right, so hey, speaking of Christmas one more time, we started a series last week that we said is going to lead us all the way to Christmas, and this is a study through the book of Galatians. And the way that we're going to get through it this time, because there's so many different ways you could do it, is we're going to just look at some of the most famous keystone passages through the book of Galatians. And uh, the reason we're doing this right up to Christmas is because the book of Galatians really helps us understand who Jesus is, why Jesus had to come to earth, why Jesus had to die. That's always a great question we ask. What did Jesus save us from? And matter of fact, last week I even asked that question. What did Jesus save us from? And most everybody shouted out, from our sins. And that's true. And, and that's so important. And I'm glad that most of us know that. But you know, he saved us from more than just our sins. He also saved us from a life of trying really, really hard to be good enough and always failing at it, right? And uh, I'm not going to ask you to raise hands. A lot of times I'm like, hey, who's with me? Don't do it this time. But many days we wake up and we have that feeling of like, man, I, I just don't know if I showed up in heaven right now that God would look at me and smile and say, you're my favorite. I'm a little concerned. You know, we, we have those days where we wake up and some days we feel better than others and some of us, we have a few days where we wake up and we just think, I just don't know if I'm good enough. Some of us, we have a lot of those days where we wake up and think, I just don't know if I'm measuring up and, and getting everything right, and, and I just don't really know if God is happy with me. If you've been to Grace Life for any period of time, I've told stories about where my faith really came alive. I mean, I grew up going to church, but my faith really came to life in, in, came to life in college. And I got into a really great church and a really great group of Christian friends. And uh, the truth is they were incredibly sincere about their faith with God. I mean, they just wanted to know God. They wanted to worship God. And they wanted it to be real. And it was. And it was so sincere. But, you know, if you, if you say, I want to just pursue God to the fullest, at some point you, you start to, to maybe make it a little more about certain rules and things because you, at some point you pass good and you try to get better, and eventually you, you can only get so much better before you're, you're getting into trouble. So here, here's what I mean by that. Uh, I, I knew that God had called me to do what I'm doing today, so I thought in the most sincere time of my faith, like I was reading my Bible and enjoying it, you know? Like when I was a kid, I never read my Bible. Nobody ever wanted to read their Bible, right? I had one that my mama made me carry to church every Sunday. Little white Bible had my name on it, and every Sunday I'd walk into it. I never opened a thing, never read it. When I got into high school, I finally decided I'm going to read the Bible all the way through just so I can say I've done it. It took me three years, but I actually finally got through the Bible. But when I was doing it, it was like, got to read the Bible tonight before I go to bed. You know, because that's already like in the year two. I've heard you can do this in one year, and it took me three. I mean, so it was a I got to do it kind of thing. But finally in college, I'm reading the Bible because I want to, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm talking to God, and I'm enjoying it. So like, everything's good. And so I go to uh, my roommate, who was the leader of the youth uh, ministry, and I said, man, I, I would just love to work with the youth. You know, I mean, I'm just, I'm just having a great time with what God's doing in my life. And he said, well, let's talk about that. You know, I see a lot of good things in your life, and you know, you're obviously, you know, very sincere in your faith, but 
Let's talk about some things that maybe we could work on. Matter of fact, before you can really work with the youth, one of the first things we've got to talk about is your music. I was a music major, and so I had a lot of CDs. I, I, I would buy CDs like 50 at a time. <laughs> That's what uh, being a college kid with a visa will do for you. It gets you in a whole lot of trouble. But I would buy a lot of CDs because I loved music. And, and so I'm, I'm like, what are you, what's wrong? Is it, is it Beethoven, Mozart? I mean, what are you upset about? Because I, I was a piano major, and it's like, no, it's not the Beethoven that's a problem. It's the Beatles and the Huey Lewis. And I'm thinking, really? The Beatles? Come on, man. They, they, they told us all we need is love. What, what's wrong with that? I mean, there's nothing wrong. With, and he said, look, here's the problem. You know, the, the youth are going to come, and they're going to see these, and they're going to go buy the same music. So if you want to work with the youth, you're going to need to burn those. I was actually talking with Brian after the service. That his church told him the same thing growing up, and they didn't tell him to burn them. So he, he just went and gave them away to all his friends and, and felt good about getting rid of them. And then they, they yelled at him for spreading evil, you know, that whole kind of thing. Like, so at least they told me I was supposed to burn them. And, and so here's the, in my effort to be really good, to be good enough to serve God, I burned all my CDs. And so today's message, which I did go back and buy later in life, This message today is for anybody who burned all your CDs or did any other ridiculous thing in an effort to feel good enough to be the person God had called you to be. So we're going to jump around a little bit today through the book of Galatians. We're going to start in chapter 4 if you're following along. Um, if not, don't worry. It's all going to be on the screen because I'm going to hit three different chapters. And the reason for that is because Paul begins an argument. And we're going to start in the middle of it. And then I'm going to show you where he ends with his desperate plea and then I'm going to go back and show you the question that started it all. And, and the reason that I'm kind of going out of order, because he wrote it brilliantly. I'm not misjudging how he wrote it, but we don't have time for the whole thing here this morning. And so I need to hit the highlights, and in order for it to make the most sense, I'm going to kind of do it in that order, if, if you'll allow me to do that. Uh, but here, here's one thing I also just want to real quick time out and encourage you on. is we're doing this series, if you never have, please sit down and read the book of Galatians, just, just for the fun of it sometime. It's just six little chapters. I think you'll read the whole thing in about 10 or 15 minutes. If you're a slow reader, you know, 20 or 25. I mean, it's, it's an easy little read, and it is going to make a whole lot more sense to you if you've read it from beginning to end as we're preaching through it in these pieces. And so we're going to start in chapter 4, the middle of this discussion he's having. In verse 4, he says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, Born of woman. Sounds like we're talking about Christmas already, doesn't it? Born of woman, born under the law to redeem those who were under the law. Come on, you can participate in this one. Who's confused by all the law stuff when you read the Bible? Like, under the law, born of the law, do the law. I mean, seriously, like, I mean, I've got a Bible college degree. He's a chaplain, and we both raised our hands. It's confusing. If you didn't raise your hand, you can either come and preach or you're lying. Those are really the two options. Because here, Here's the thing. I'm going to try to do my best to make this as simple as I can. The law is the word for the rules that the religious people of God were supposed to follow, okay? And it kind of makes sense like this. God revealed himself to mankind, and he said, look, so, you know, I've got some things I'd like you to do to honor me. His list was, was pretty simple at first. It was what we know as the Ten Commandments. Don't steal, don't lie, don't have other gods, honor your parent, you know, that sort of thing. It was, it was a very simple thing. But then the Jewish leaders over time would make it more and more complicated because they were afraid people would kind of get a little too close to the rule and accidentally break the rule. And, and, and here's an analogy. Now, 
catch this. It's an analogy. It's not in the Bible. I know how you're like thinking about lunch and kind of daydreaming about something else. And then you hear me say something and go home and go, did he say that was in the Bible? So <laughs> not in the Bible. Here you go. Here's an analogy. But imagine if God said, do not touch the ceiling. The Jews would have made a rule that says, do not lift your arms. Because if you don't lift your arms, you can't be in danger of touching the ceilings. They would add rules to try and help you not break the few things that God wanted you to do to honor him. And so we ended up with all of these rules. They had some rules for ceremonies. They had some rules for their nation of Israel. And then they had the moral rules, like do not lie and do not steal. And they, they, this list got so long, it was over 600 different things you could or could not do or had to do or never should or, or however that story goes. It was confusing. And, and as you're reading this book to the Galatians and Paul's talking about, look, don't mess with the law. Don't go back to the law. Don't do the law. Don't be enslaved to the law again. A lot of you may think, boy, I'm glad they understood this. But they didn't. They didn't understand it either. And here's the reason. This is your nerd moment today. I always try to give at least one nerd moment because there's always you know, some nerds that, that love it. But here's the thing. The Galatians mostly, if not completely, were not Jews either. You see, Paul felt called not to stay in Israel. When he became a follower of Jesus, he left Israel. And this region of Galatia, where the book of Galatians is written to, is what we know as modern-day Turkey. But it was a Roman province. And so the people that he's writing to were Roman subjects or Roman citizens. Uh, they were way before the Ottoman and Turk Empire, but that, that was their descendant, that was their heritage. And so these are people who were, were following pagan religions. And so Paul comes along and says, look, you, you guys, this isn't working. I mean, you're doing all of these dances around campfires and, and, and singing these songs and you're hoping the rain will come and then the rain doesn't come and you feel bad about yourself and you wonder who did what wrong and you, you throw Bob out of the camp because the rain didn't come and then you, then you worship the sun and then the sun comes out and then you worship the moon and it's, it's big and bright and then it goes away and there's no moon at all 15 days later and you can't seem to understand that and now you think, you know, God's not happy with you. So he's like, look, stop. Let me introduce you to the one true living God. And he loves you so much that he actually sent his son to die for you because he knows you'll never be good enough to be with him on your own. And they go, thank God. Because this hoping that the rain is happy and hoping that that God is happy and doing this and that and all of the other Greek mythology and the Roman mythology and everything else and the pagan religions and all of the they're like, it doesn't work. You're telling me there's this guy named Jesus? And he's like, yes. And, and it was amazing. And so they become followers of Jesus. And then churches are started. And then Paul goes on. And then other people show up. We talked about this a little bit last week. See, there's other people, the Jewish leaders. They hated two people a lot. The number one person on their list, Jesus. Hated the fact that this guy came along and said, I'm the Messiah. I am the Father of one. They thought it was blasphemy. How dare he say that? And so they want to kill the spread of following Jesus. And then there was this guy named Paul, who was one of the greatest Jewish leaders. I mean, he was like the next dude in charge, and suddenly he becomes a follower of Jesus. So he goes around teaching about Jesus. So they hate Jesus, they hate Paul. And so a couple of them decide, Here's the, I know what we're going to do, we're going to follow Paul. Eventually we're going to catch him and kill him, but in the meantime, we're just going to undo everything he does as we go along. And so they came along and and they showed up in this region of Galatia and they started saying, hey, look, Brian, here, I'm, I'm, we're so glad you're not a pagan anymore. 
really we are. It is so good. You don't worship the rocks and the moon and the sun and the stars. And we're glad that you are now a worshiper of the one true God. But that thing Paul said about Jesus, <laughs> you really just got to throw that out. You know, he's a little confused. He's okay, but a little confused on that point. What you really got to do if you want to be right with God is be a Jew. Because we're God's people. We're God's favorite people. Didn't you know about that? God loves us better than anybody. So if you really want to be right with God, you've got to be a Jew. And you've got to follow our rules. Hence the law. You guys with us now? That's where that whole the law thing comes from. You ever been in church and been confused? So have I. There you go. So he says, look, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the set of rules to redeem those who were under the set of rules. You see, Jesus was born as a Jew. Jesus was born under that law and lived it perfectly. He honored God perfectly. And, and think about this. Was that hard for him to do? Of course not, because he and the Father were one. It, 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 it'd be amazing to wake up every day and do what comes naturally to you because it is who you are. And that's exactly what Jesus did. When some people wonder, how did Jesus not sin? Because sin was not in his nature, because he was God. And it says that he came born under this set of rules to redeem those who were under the rules so that you and me might receive adoption as sons. And because your sons... And daughters for our discussion today, by the way, it includes you. Uh, forgive me if I don't throw the word daughters in every time, but you, you can go ahead. It says, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts. And that spirit cries out, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. We just did a series a couple of months back, and it's still online if you're new and you want to go check this out. It was called God Within. And it was all about the fact that Jesus said, I'm going away. And it's better if you go away, because if I go away, I'm going to send the Spirit of God. And, and, and it's the promise of God, the Holy Spirit, and He is going to dwell within you. You're going to do greater things than I've ever done. And Paul is writing this book to the Galatians because they had become sons and daughters. They were pagans. They were condemned to hell. They were on their way. They didn't even know who God was. Paul tells them, and now they're sons and they're worshiping God, they're worshiping Jesus. And then the Jews come along and turn them into slaves. Slaves to this law. Slaves to a set of rules. Slaves to trying to be good enough, but never being good enough, therefore you'll never be free, which is why I use the word slaves. Is that, y'all following why he's using this analogy? The question we're going to need to answer today is, are you living as a son and daughter? Are you living as a slave? And so Paul goes a few sentences later, and he makes his really strong plea. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Freedom. He didn't set you free to go back to what you used to do. He didn't set you free to go to a different set of rules. Okay, you had pagan rules, and you walked away. Now you're going to go to Jewish rules. No! He set you free for freedom, so do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. They were just changing who their master was. Their master used to be pagan gods. Now their master is going to be the Jewish rules. And Paul's saying, seriously, I spent all of my time for this. Jesus died for this. Don't go back. How can you go back? Which is his question. 
that he began. So back up with me if you're following along all the way to the very beginning of chapter 3. That was the end of kind of where he is headed. Here's the beginning. He started out by saying this. Oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Now, that's just funny when I read it because I'm thinking, if I stood up here on Sunday morning and went, oh, you foolish people. I mean, y'all would never come back. Some of you would actually leave. Not most of you. Most of you would stay seated because you're a good southerner and you just know that's the right thing to do. But you would be mad at me the rest of the time you were in the room. This, this is a letter. Paul has written a letter. Oh, foolish Galatians. And I'm thinking, how does he know they're not going to go, and just, I'm not reading any more of that. I mean, seriously, why would you bother to keep reading something after somebody insults you? It's because of the next couple of words that he got before they had a chance to rip it up. He says, who has bewitched you? You see, when Paul, it's just so cool, I don't have time to bore you with it today, but every time Paul wrote to an audience, he did something that they got that other people wouldn't get. And since the Galatians had been a part of all of these different pagan religions and a part of all this hypnosis and all of these different sorts of things, he uses this word that means being out of your mind. And, and some versions will use the word bewitched. And, and, and depending on whichever one you're looking at, he's basically saying, you're under a spell. Who put you under a spell? And since they used to do that kind of magic, they're like, oh, we get it. What do you mean we're under a spell? And he talked in language they would get. And so he says, look, it was before your eyes that Jesus was publicly portrayed as crucified. Meaning they didn't see Jesus crucified. They saw the portraying of him being crucified in Paul. If you were here last week, we talked about that really strong language where he says, look, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer me who lives, but Christ lives in me. He's saying, how, how could you look at my life? You saw that I was dead to those rules. I ate pork when I was with you, man. You didn't notice that? I'm free. I had joy. I had a smile on my face. I felt forgiven even though I used to kill Christians. Man, I was everything that Jesus did for me. You saw it. You looked at me. You, you wanted to be like it. And now you're, it was before your eyes that you saw what it meant for Jesus to be crucified. So let me just ask you one question. Did you receive the Spirit by works of the law or by hearing with faith? And I just want to tell you, don't miss this. Because the truth is, I missed it many times. I've read the book of Galatians many times in my life. I've preached out of Galatians at different times and, and done different things. And, and so you have to forgive me that I'm going to confess. I caught a theme in this argument that I'd never noticed before. And if you've noticed, how many times have you noticed so far today he's talked about the Spirit, the Holy Spirit in us? And so he starts to, to make sure we understand that this following the rules or following Jesus, there's something else that's been happening inside of you, and, and how are you ignoring that? He says, look, did you ever receive the Spirit by working at a law? I mean, seriously, in all my years pastoring, I've never had anybody come to me and go, Pastor, man, I was just like sweeping the bathroom because I felt really guilty, and I thought if I sweep the bathroom, the pastor will like me, and the, the Holy Spirit came upon me. I've never had somebody say, I got perfect attendance in church this year, 52 Sundays in a row, and the Holy Spirit came upon me. I've never heard somebody say, I read my Bible 15 minutes extra to make up for my sin last night, and the Holy Spirit came upon me. But I've heard many people say, oh man, I gave my life to Jesus, and I just felt the presence of God all over me. And Paul's saying, look, you never did any, there's no doing that causes the Holy Spirit to show up on you. 
No, it's when Jesus died for you and you recognize that suddenly the presence of God dwells in your life. Are you so foolish that you begin by the Spirit? What, the Holy Spirit moved into you that you're now going to be perfected by the flesh? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? I never really paid attention to that phrase. Here's the point. They have watched people healed. I mean, think about Paul did this stuff. Go and read the book of Acts at what he was doing in these places. People were getting healed. People who could not walk are walking. I mean, he did all kinds of miracles. And he's like, look, which one of you did that by making sure you didn't, didn't eat pork? Which one of you did that by making sure that you didn't light a fire on the Sabbath? Which one, when did God say, I want that person to get out of a wheelchair because you were a really good follower of that rule? that's the Holy Spirit moving in power. Why would you want to walk away from God's presence in you? Why would you want to walk away from the miraculous things God does to just following rules? Why? And the answer is what matters to you and me. Because they were confused. They were just confused. The simple truth is there is something inside of every human heart it's in ours, and it was in theirs 2,000 years ago. And that's to be right with God. It's there. Every human feels it. And some humans try to say, I don't, I don't feel that by saying there is no God. I'm an atheist. I don't, have to, I, don't, I don't care about that feeling. But that's actually a small crowd. The majority of people on earth, all around the earth, they feel a need to be right with whatever they identify with as this supreme being. That they feel a need to be right. And so they try every different method and give a different title and a different label to that supreme being. And they'll just try really hard to be good. You've met people who say, I don't need to go to church because I'm, I'm a good person. I do my best to do right by the people around me. And I believe as long as we're all doing right, God will honor that, that sort of thing. They, they just try really hard to be good. And then you meet other people who, well, they just try to find a religion that'll make them feel good about themselves only to figure out that every religion tells them to try really hard at being good. And then they're just miserable all over once again, except for one. Now, look, I know when you talk about Christianity, our first objection is don't call us a religion. We're a relationship with a living God, right? Okay, but if you'll allow me for a minute. The entire world, as well as any religion class, would call us a religion of the world. So let's just go with it for a minute, okay? Just, just allow me, because here's the point. In that context, this is the only religion in the world that says, don't try hard enough to be good enough, because you'll never do it. But God will make you good enough by the blood of his Son and filling you with the Spirit. He'll do it for you. And it's what's changed in lives of Muslims all across the world because the number one thing the Muslim faith will make you feel is guilty. The number one thing that the Jewish faith will make you feel is guilty. And the number one thing that the Christian faith should make you feel is forgiven and loved. That's what should be happening. And the same problem we have today is that we're equally confused. We were told this, we were told that, we feel this. It's like, I want to wake up and just go, Daddy, are you smiling when you see me? I don't really know. And we end up in the same place that they were in of, well, then I'm going to try a little bit of this. I'm, I'm gonna, here's the thing. The truth is, and you need to catch this, sons and daughters and slaves, they can look the same. 
it's really hard for us to look around the room and go, hey, you're, you're being a good son. I can see the slave on you. It's hard. Because here's the way. Just imagine this analogy with me. You've got the father or the master of the house, and he's sitting around, and he says, uh, would you bring me a glass of water? And the son hears it. The son goes, well, yes, and goes and gets a glass of water. Maybe the slave hears it, and the slave goes, of course, yes, and goes and gets a glass of water. Sons and slaves can look like they're doing the same thing. The difference is they're doing it for all a different motivation. You see, the son may go to church, and the slave may go to church, and the son may read the Bible, and the slave may read the Bible, and the son may be on the serve team, and the slave may be on the serve team, and the son may give his money, and the slave may give his money, but the son is doing it because he loves his daddy. And the slave is doing it because he's trying to earn favor with his master. And you'll see the difference in how they relate about relationship. Go back to my analogy. The father and the master says, could I have a glass of water? And the son says, yes, daddy. Whereas the slave says, yes, sir. You see, we can look like we're doing the, the same actions. And right now in this room, we could have many people living as sons and daughters, and we could have many living as slaves because the actions look the same on the outside for the most part. The question is what's going on on the inside. So I want to help you diagnose where you're living today by, by giving you a, just a little uh, a, a comparison, for lack of a better word, of, of sons and slaves because there are some things that both sons and slaves do and both sons and slaves want. Like this, both sons and slaves want to be right with God. Both sons and slaves want to do good and be good. Both sons and slaves are going to experience and feel things in their soul. See, it goes like this. Both sons and slaves want to be right with God. And sons and daughters, that means they believe in Jesus by faith alone. They get it. There is not a single thing I can do to make God happier with me than he is right now. I walk into this place and I am humbled and I am broken because of God's goodness in my life. Slaves pick a system of rules to try and feel good enough before their master. And you know what's crazy? Some people pick Christianity and they take those rules and, and turn it into their form of trying to get right with God. So both sons and slaves want to do good and be good. And listen, don't miss this. That's good. That's good. God hates evil. It shouldn't matter who you are. We should want God to look down on the earth and go, hey, that's good. Because God made the earth and said, this is good. Every day of creation, this is good. We say God is good. So we should want God to look at us and go, you're good. That's good. That was a good choice. We should want that. The difference is that sons do good out of worship, out of love, out of gratitude, we do the right thing because we're just trying to be like him. But slaves do good out of a need to feel better about who they are and to hope that their master is happy with them. And then the last one, both sons and slaves feel the effects of this on their soul. And when I'm talking about feeling, I'm, I mean what you experience. You see, sons feel light. Daughters feel light. I would say that what we really mean by that is they feel forgiven. They know they're not perfect. They know they've made mistakes, but they also know that those were nailed to a cross with Jesus. They just feel light. But slaves, they feel heavy. They feel the guilt of what they've done. 
sometimes because they've yet to make Jesus their king and so they still carry the guilt and the weight. But sometimes because we like to rip stuff back off the cross and just carry it with us. Just keep feeling bad about ourselves. A lot of times because of lies of the enemy. Sons feel free. Slaves feel judged. Sons feel loved. Slaves feel not good enough. Sons feel peace. Slaves feel shame. Sons want to honor and enjoy their father. Slaves want to earn the right to approach their master. I asked you earlier that you're going to have to decide if you're a son you're a slave and I know you all want to give the right answer we all do don't we I mean I want to give the right answer we all know what the right answer is it'd be easy to just say you know we're, we're a son or a daughter but the truth is the real diagnosis here this morning isn't up here the real diagnosis is right here how many mornings do you wake up and you don't feel Galatians have become sons. Don't misunderstand. Paul never once was telling them, I made a huge mistake. You're all going to hell. I was wrong. You and I, we're going to see the Galatians in heaven. Th this point was, you became sons. But you don't live like it. You live like slaves. The question for us today, because many of us, know who Jesus is, we know what he did for us, and we've accepted the gift of salvation. But we wake up every day, and the experience of our life is one of a slave. What can I do today to try to be good enough to approach God? So I'm going to ask you a really deep, deep theological question. Who's your daddy? who your daddy is you live like he's your daddy see the best picture I can give you it, it, it happens here in the church because I'm a pastor I kind of represent God in a sense and, and some people they hold that from a distance and, and some people treat me with well distance is a good word <laughs> some people don't want to talk to me like oh I don't want to talk to that guy he might ask me what I did last night you know whatever it is on the other hand, I got kids. I got four of them. And they know. That they, don't, they don't care if I'm the pastor. They, they just know I'm their daddy. They, they just go into my office. They don't ask for an appointment with my assistant either. They just go right into my office. I've got one kid that'll just open the door even if I'm in the middle of a counseling appointment because it's his daddy's office. And they will take their shoes off in my office. And they'll just crawl up on my little blue couch and eat my chocolate without me offering it to them. One Sunday, I finished the service, and I walked into my office, and all my chocolate was gone. And let me tell you what, in my office, that is a great feat. We've even got one son who somebody tried to tell him what he couldn't do here one Sunday, and he said, you can't tell me what to do. My daddy owns this place. Don't worry. I had a chat with him. 
But do you, can you just imagine waking up? Just walking the streets of gold and just going, these are my daddy's streets. So they're mine. There is no condemnation here. This is my daddy's. The spirit lives in. You didn't notice. I mean, it may sound silly, but who's your daddy? Because there's only two choices. You've got a master that you're trying really hard to get good enough to get within reaching distance of. Or you've got a daddy. I think there are two things that break God's heart. That one is people who are slaves and they could be sons and daughters. Jesus died on the cross. Wipe away all your sins to make you right with your heavenly father. Putting his spirit in you that cries out, Daddy, I'm going to come back and talk to you in just a minute. Second thing that I think that breaks God's heart is when he has sons and daughters that don't live like it. I mean, I just walked out to the lobby and my kids showed up for the second service right before this. And they came running up and hugging me. That's what your Father in Heaven wants to feel when you wake up every morning. From you. He wants to know that you are that loved and that accepted. He wants to teach you that you should wait till he stops talking to that other person before you interrupt and hug him. Like I have to do my kids. They just think, I'm their daddy. It's the most important thing. He's trying to sneak in all the time. I don't care if you're talking to somebody, daddy. I'm giving you a hug. That's, that's what they do. And, and there's something that gets in the way. And you need to answer a question this morning that Paul asked them. <laughs> Who has bewitched you? The answer for them was the Jewish leaders. He already knew it. It was a rhetorical question. For you, it's not rhetorical, though. Because it might be a who. It might even be a what. It might be a why. Why, if you know what Jesus has done, are you so determined to try to do it for yourself? What makes you think that? Who? I'm going to give you two suggestions. One is the, the brokenness of our souls. That there are just some things because of the way we're raised, the things that were said to us, a coach or a teacher, a parent or whatever. It's just hard because of the brokenness in our soul. It's just hard to think that we're as loved as we truly are. It's just so hard for us to grasp that. This is why the Bible tells us, I don't know if you know this or not, this is for fun. The Bible does tell us, confess your sins to God and be forgiven. The Bible also tells us to confess to one another and be healed. If you go out this room today and you just have a private conversation with God, you can be forgiven, you can be good with Him, but there's still going to be brokenness you experience in your life. And this is why we do life groups. We don't do life groups because we've got too much time on our hands. We do life groups because we need to get together in each other's life and, and say, Brian, man, I've, I've been to Bible college. You've been to Bible college, and, and I'm struggling with this. Can, can you help me, man? I mean, like, like, we should have it figured out, and we don't have it figured out. I need to talk to somebody. And Brian might say, yeah, here's what I learned. Or he might say, I don't have a clue. Ben, can you help us, man? We need each other to get healed of the brokenness in our souls. It's crazy how God works, that God uses broken things to make broken things whole. <laughs> Holy God. 
Or the second one is just the enemy. A lie of the enemy. It blows my mind when I think about he, he lies about who God is, he lies about who he is, and he lies about who we are. And so much of it works. We just accept it. Like this one right here. You know, you just read your Bible a little bit more. God would love you a little more. You just serve that one extra time on those six Christmas services. God will love you a little more. If you just give more than the person beside you, God will love you more. Lies. Here's the truth. This is what I'm going to close with because I feel this is the one thing God wanted me to impart to you today. I hope it's more than information. The Bible tells us that when we were sinners, while we were sinners, God sent His Son to die for us. Do you get that? And then, out of God's love that He sent His Son to die for us, and then we're redeemed, we turn around and try to say, now I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do something that would make you love me more than the amount of love it took to send your Son to die for me. Are you kidding me? The Bible says God is love. And let me assure you of something. The fullness of God's expression of love, all of what God's love is, was poured out upon you when Jesus died on the cross. There is not one thing you can do that would make him love you more than the love that would make him trade his son for you. Seriously? I mean, just think about it. I've never had this thought. I didn't say it in the first service. If there was something else there was something extra if God would love you more if you did that right then that meant that he didn't love Jesus that much that the amount of love it took to send Jesus to the cross was less than what he has that's kind of an insult <laughs> it took his full expression of love for you to send his son to the cross and we have got to stop letting the devil make us think that we can be better than the death of Jesus and earn God's love. When you wake up every day, whether you believe it or not, God looks down at you and goes, Nicole, I'm smiling. You're my favorite kid. And guess what, Caden? Hiding in your hoodie? <laughs> You're my favorite kid, too. Yep, sure enough. And Mark, Mark, you know what? You're my favorite. And you know why? Because I made you. I made you. If I would have loved you any better differently, then I would have made you differently. I love you as much as you can be loved. In the words of Paul, why would you go back to trying to earn anything else? pray for us. God, we thank you so much for your goodness. It truly blows our mind and we can't comprehend. Our greatest hope is that every day of life will comprehend a little bit more than we did the day before of how the fullness of your love has been poured out, of how you can smile because we're your children, not because we're imperfect. God, you are, you are a good God. And today we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you.
that you sent your son to die for us. So I want to talk to those I said I would come back to, those who are still slaves, technically and legally. Because the one thing we have to do to become a son or a daughter is to trade the life we're living for the one Jesus paid for. Where he takes all of our sins and we lay down the crown where we are king. And he gives us forgiveness and eternal life. And we let him be king. If you've never done that, I'm not going to make you do anything weird or strange. I'm just going to lead you in a conversation right where you're seated. If you would, just all pray with me. Say something like this to yourself, my God. Lord Jesus, I thank you. I thank you that you died for me. And now I want to live for you. I thank you that you love me. I thank you that I'm forgiven. And my simple prayer here today that you fill me with your spirit and give me a life of great purpose in your kingdom. Amen. Let's celebrate with those people, everybody. Thank you for joining us for this week's message. If you've made the decision to follow Jesus, congratulations. It's the best decision you'll ever make. If you've been impacted in any way, we'd love to hear about it head over to gracelife.church resources where you can share your story and find other tools for following Jesus. We hope you go out and make Jesus famous in your world.